This is a Federal News Network podcast. Agencies looking to deploy 5G wireless technology now have some new security guidance. The 5G security evaluation will help agencies think through the all-important authority to operate, ATO. It was developed jointly by the Department of Defense and the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency. For details, Federal News Network's Justin Doubleday spoke with the DOD 5G security program lead, Dan Massey, and with the section chief of CIS's Cyber Quality Services Management Office, Vincent Saritapan. 5G is here to stay. We know that, right? We, we see various mission and operational applications. But our paper really gets at that security assurance process, right? How do I do security compliance for 5G technologies? And not that it's a, a one-size-fits-all, but it's, it's a specific a way to look at it so that you can start to evaluate what are the policies, uh, what, what is the implications when I look at that. So this paper does help you hopefully get ahead of the curve to understand when I want to adopt 5G, what are the things am I, I going to have to do for security compliance? And Dan, from the DOD perspective, you know, security is often paramount. How do you think, you know, military organizations, units looking to use 5G and transition prototype from prototype to production should be considering this document and taking it forward? I think this is a great resource for anybody considering adoption of, of 5G technology. It, you know, as, as we all know, especially the folks uh, implementing this, to put something onto a, an, onto a federal network to make this for use for DHS, for DOD, for all that, we always need to get that authority to operate or that ATO. So without that ATO, you are not up and running. You are, uh, you're, you're not really going to become part of our operational mission. So how do, you, how do you get that? And that can be a, a complex process and a sometimes daunting process. And this document really gives you some great guidance into how you can get from that fancy new 5G system over to over to an ATO. How do you get through that process? If you're going through that, I highly recommend you do this, whether you've done a, a ton of ATOs for other systems or whether this is your first time trying to get something through, this is a great starting point and I think will give you great guidance that works for not only DOD, but for DHS and, and hopefully for, for multiple agencies as well. So, so Vincent, can you kind of lay out the process here and does this solve all the 5G security problems that agencies might face or does this kind of just help them define and, and, and work through those processes on their own? Our report here is actually an investigation right into that process. So it definitely helps agencies to in, in what we define. I mean, one, we develop a, a 5G system model for understanding a common taxonomy. So how do we call different things, certain things? But the, the actual document does provide a, a five-step process when you talk about any 5G technology, right? You, you have all types of applications that are out there, AR, VR for training, smart warehouse, you name it, there's just even more so. But the, the key thing is th there has to be a common way to look at this, right? And, and understand what policies, we're not talking about new ones, but existing things, risk management framework, what is it that, that's out there that's applicable to your you know, 5G use case that you're looking to adopt? So just to lay it out there, the, the five steps right, that help you prepare to conduct, in this case, the, the risk management framework for a system authorization is one, define your 5G use case. right. In this case, it's in the, the federal sense. right. And you have to think about how is it that the agency is planning to deploy 5G in its IT environment? Is it on a base, right? Is it OCONUS? Is it in the United States CONUS? What are the details as far as, you know, 
how we're going to shape it and drive all the, the downstream activities for that use case. Step two is identify the assessment boundary, right? Is this using a private network? Is this a, a cloud-based system out there? You know, what, what are the endpoints and the technologies, applications, interface used as a part of that boundary? Step three is identify the security requirements themselves, right? A lot of times folks look at what are the risks, right, associated? What are the threats associated to my system? And being able to come up with security capabilities that mitigate those threats. So in our document, we actually talk about mapping of those threats and understanding threats based on common subsystems and other pieces. Step four is mapping those security requirements to federal guidance, right? Figuring out, hey, I have to do X. Well, what actual security guidance and specifications should we be using and following for assessment? And then step five is actually to assess the security guidance gaps and alternatives. Because what you'll find today, right, a lot of times this is not your old 4G, 3G technology with a lot of times we didn't actually include in our boundary. We, we sort of struggle with that. With 5G and, and use of, you know, virtualization, cloud networks, other aspects, including, you know, impact to my on-prem or, or cloud boundaries, you're going to find out that, hey, maybe I don't have all of the guidance I need. Maybe I have alternatives that I can use, right? There's other cloud guidance that maybe we never used in telecommunications before as we look to assess and authorize these things. So the real piece is to assess security guidance and gaps and really look at alternatives that we can leverage. And it's really five steps, very simple, can be applied to various verticals within 5G. But the real purpose here is to help people understand what it takes and identify, you know, before I get to prototype and I'm done, I actually have a method and, and can think it through. All right. There's the five stages of grief and five steps to go through a 5G security evaluation too. Dan, I think you had something you wanted to add. So I, I think there's a, a few really critical points in there. So so first, Vincent kind of touched on, you know, hey, this isn't simply your your old 3G or, or 4G system. And, and then Vincent was talking about about cloud and stuff, and some of you might think like, well, no, I'm I'm doing just a simple, uh, you know, transport layer communication. You're not right. So, so I think we need to back up a little bit and talk when we talk about 5G. What are some of these subsystems? What is that taxonomy? And you know, you can see this in detail in the paper. But let me just give you a, a quick flavor of that, right? So we've got this user equipment at the edge, right? We've got phones, we've got sensors, we've got all, all we've got machine to machine communication in that. Smart warehouse example, we have a lot of interesting sensors, a lot of interesting moving parts, a lot of interesting pieces that are not a phone, right? So we've got those UEs, right? And so that's a big part of the system. Equally important is the radio access network or the 5G RAN. So the RAN is an important component. I'm going to have to understand what are my risks? What are my security concerns? What, what am I doing to mitigate some of those concerns at the radio access level? Now, it doesn't stop there, right? Because... When we think of 5G as wireless communication, once we reach the tower, we're on what we call the 5G core, or essentially a back-end network that's helping you know get all these things connected. That can be fixed wireless, that can be wired, that can be fiber optics. So I need to talk about the core. And then finally, we've got uh, the 5G mech or the edge computing, the, the cloud computing, as, as Vincent's already alluded to. So when we talk about the system, we have all these subsystems from UEs to RANs to cores to MEC and putting them all together is, is critical. The other thing here, there's a reason we've got a step one is that use case. How I do this depends greatly on my use case. If I'm doing this in a smart warehouse, a smart warehouse use case is very different than 
in DOD speak, an OCONUS or, or, you know, outside of the U.S. experiment activity that may be involved in anything from communications to sensor systems to other pieces. So you have to start with that use case. And I think just going through the step of first figuring out, well, what is my use case will really help guide you because I've got a different set of issues if I'm a warehouse versus just phone conversation between, you know, Justin, yourself, me and Vincent, or a number of other applications. Dan Massey, DOD 5G program security lead, and you also heard from Vincent Stritapan, the chief of CISA's Cyber Quality Services Management Office. They were speaking with Federal News Network's Justin Doubleday. Check out Justin's story at federalnewsnetwork.com. Hello, I'm WIPA CEO Shane Canfield, and thank you for joining us on another episode of Lessons in Leadership. I'm honored to be joined by Angie Bailey, founder and CEO of Ananda Life. Angie has a remarkable career in public service, beginning as a GS2 clerk typist with the Social Security Administration. And over the next 40 years, Angie steadily worked her way up through the government, ultimately becoming the Chief Human Capital Officer at the Department of Homeland Security. She's been recognized with presidential rank awards by two administrations for leadership, innovation, dedication, and commitment to the country. Angie, thank you for joining us. Thank you, Shane. What a pleasure to be here. Angie, you've made quite a name for yourself as a leader in the federal workforce. Who was the first person you remember looking up to as a leader? And what about them inspired you? You I often think about this because, you know, sometimes we think of the people that we look up to the most as being somebody that throughout our career has, you know, been at the highest levels and all. But, you know, I've got to go back to honestly, whenever I was 10 years old, and uh, I remember I really wanted to play Little League Baseball on a boys team. I was the only girl. And interestingly, it was the women who would keep saying to me that, no, I couldn't play. And then one day, whenever I was there to sign up yet again, uh, there was this guy, his name was Delbert Beiser. And uh, I remember he had like red hair and he had a wad of tobacco in his mouth and greasy overhauls and everything. And he said, you know, I'll take her, I'll take her on my team. And, you know, just looking back on that, there's so many leadership lessons and things that I just really admire about him. And actually, I thought about throughout my entire career, he took a chance on somebody he didn't know. He um, put aside whatever conscious or unconscious biases that he might have had about having a girl on a team. He treated me the same, uh, whether you know, if I wasn't performing, I got benched just like the boys. I got no special treatment. And, and, and he was just really honest with me and he just included me in everything. And so looking back on it, you know, really it was Delbert Beiser, our local mechanic in our little small village that was, I think, my inspiration for going on to, I hope, become the leader, um, you know, that, that I wanted to be. I'd say half of the guests on this podcast have had similar stories where they reach back to either childhood or young adulthood. And I, and I think as leaders, it's really incumbent upon us to keep that in mind, that, that what we say and do, at, especially in the younger ages, really can have a lifelong impact. How would you describe your leadership style and, and how has that developed over time? I would say that the one word that describes my leadership style is that I care. Um, I guess that's more than one word, but I care. Uh, I, I've always cared about the mission. I've always cared about the people. I've always cared, you know, about making sure that 
that they had what they needed or that they were developing the way, uh, you know, that they aspired to develop. And I tried to take this approach of not treating people the way I wanted to be treated, but instead treat people the way they wanted they want to be treated. And I think that that really kind of developed over my career. You know, I started out just like most leaders do where it's very results driven. It's all about the bottom line. You need to make sure that you get everything accomplished because, you know, that's what everybody's looking for, the goals, the metrics, et cetera. But I think as you mature and you go along, you start to, to your point, you draw back on those early childhood days or early adult young, you know, whenever you're a young adult and you say, you know, I think that there's a little bit more to this than just the bottom line. And so over time, I really began to, I, I think, see a much bigger picture and the entire ecosystem, if you will, and how the people themselves fit into all of this. And that ultimately, at the end of the day, it was all about the people. And so, I, you know, I think my, my maturity allowed me to then shift and focus more on the people than, than so much on results and bottom line. You've been recognized with two presidential rank awards two different administrations. You founded your own company. Tell us a little bit more about your background from the beginning and and how did that lead you to where you are today? Well, you know, it's kind of interesting, like you said, that I started out as a GS2, a social security administration. I mean, what I really wanted to be was a criminal prosecuting attorney. That's, that was absolutely my dream. I sometimes joke and say what I really wanted to be was a mafia don, but that wasn't going to work out. So, you know, had to be a criminal prosecuting attorney, but, you know, I had to get a job to pay for college. I, you know, it wasn't in the cards that I was going to be able to go to college without a job. So I applied at the social Security Administration, or I'm sorry, at the unemployment office, and lo and behold, I got a job at Social Security. I didn't even know it was federal, to be honest. Uh, from there, I went to the Department of Defense, and I found this, this career field called labor and employee relations. And honestly, it was as close as I was going to get to being a criminal prosecuting attorney. I didn't go on to be a, a criminal prosecuting attorney, but I went on courtesy of the Department of Defense to get both my bachelor's and my master's in leadership, because the whole study of leadership, I just find incredibly fascinating, Um, you know, from historical to current, current times, I just, it's just something that's just really fascinated me. And so I just, I would say I'm a lifelong learner of leadership. And then I would say some of the other things that got me maybe where I am today is I never really said no to anything. If people asked me to take on a new challenge, even if I wasn't sure I was going to be successful at it, I would say, you know what, not sure this is going to work out, but more than happy to give it a try. And it always worked out. But I think giving things a try and just not saying no to opportunities is what really led from one position to the next. I feel like I was always rewarded for just stepping in or stepping up and taking on the challenges that sometimes no one else wanted to do. Angie, thanks so much for joining us today. Oh, thank you, Shane. It's such a pleasure. I I really appreciate you giving me this opportunity. Thank you. This has been the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I'm CEO of WEPA, Shane Canfield. Looking forward to talking to you next time. Helping your employees learn new cloud skills helps your business become more agile, more resilient, and more secure. Not helping employees learn new cloud skills causes your business to become less agile, less resilient, less secure, less innovative, less profitable, and, well, ultimately less of a business. Don't become less of a business. 
Try Pluralsight and get your employees everything they need to learn new cloud skills. Learn more at Pluralsight.com vision. This episode is brought to you by Zelle. Whenever you're sending money through an app or online, it's important to do it safely. Here are a few helpful tips. First, always make sure you know and trust the person you are sending money to. Second, confirm you have entered their contact details correctly. And finally, if you don't trust the person or your recipient is rushing you to send money right away, think twice before sending money through an app or online.